Hello, everyone. Welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is Valerie. So grateful to be with all of you once again today. And I'm really happy to have my friend here, Chris Kimball. Hello, Chris. How are you today? I'm just fine. Thank you. No, good to be with you. Thanks. It is it is so much fun to have Chris here on the show. We have been, we're about halfway through a mini series where we are really digging deep into Chris's book, Living on the Inside of the Edge. If you have not purchased this book yet, I would invite you to do so. It has been such a good, important resource for me, uh, just as a human, but also in the work that I do in my groups, I refer to this fairly often. And it's just for anybody who is trying to learn or think about how to be in a healthy, adaptive, individuated or differentiated relationship with the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's about how to have an adult to adult relationship with the institution and with people inside of the institution. And so so far, we have had a lot of fun talking about uh, breaking the binaries, uh, stop stopping being thinkers of black and white, really overcoming the temptation to put, make everything good or bad. And heavens knows we have that's how we've been taught. And so it's a it's learning a new way of being in connection with our own uh, ways of thinking about life, church, religion, God, the world. That was episode number one of the series. Last episode, we talked about differentiating, growing up, and how to be in a differentiated relationship with your bishop, with the Temple Recommend interview, uh, with the commandments. And we also talked about something called shibboleths, which is a cultural signaling of in-groups and out-groups, and how we even as differentiating people have to be aware when we are breaking those taboos and having the moral courage to just do what is right for us. So jump back to Friday's episode if you didn't catch that. Today we're having a, we're going to have a conversation about another big topic. And I'm going to just uh, I'm going to just say the words and Chris, I want you to go ahead and just take off with this and talk about why did you add this to this book and why is this so important? Okay. The concept here that Chris wants us to learn about is magical thinking. What is this thing and how does this apply in in this particular situation, Chris? Let me start with why it's there. It's it's there because I came to believe in working on this book. It wasn't there in the first draft. I came to believe, though, that this idea of magical thinking, or to put it more precisely, the failure of magical thinking is the single biggest problem that people have with the church, with organized religion, um, with faith. And therefore, I think we need to address it. I think we need to face it and talk about it. It is a little bit deceptive, but intentionally so, to use the word magical thinking. It forces people to pay attention and think, what are you really talking about? Um, because the idea first makes people think, well, you're talking about miracles. You're talking about answers to prayer. You're talking about the... the spiritual aspects and that something's wrong with those spiritual aspects. And that's not it. But I want people to wrestle with that because what I find is that if they wrestle with it, they come away with the, the, the idea that I really want. And then the word magical thinking or the phrase magical thinking becomes a, a, a code that brings it back to mind over and over again. The essence of magical thinking is another whole way to approach it is, to, is certainty. The essence of magical thinking that almost everybody gets in primary, 
almost everybody gets out of any sort of religious teaching is that there is order in the universe, that everything has a purpose, that there is an answer out there. And in fact, Mormon tradition and Mormon teaching encourages by talking about true statements, talking about absolutes, um, encourage us to, not that it's the only place where this happens, but encourages us to think there's an answer. There is a certainty. If I do this checklist, I will be saved. I will end up in the celestial kingdom. If I get the right person to give me a blessing, I will be healed. If I marry the right person, it will last forever. And every one of those examples is a, is a search for certainty, for the sure thing, for the guarantee. And what happens now I'm giving you the whole speech all at once, right? But what happens over and over is that if you get past, oh, maybe age 12, and you get, and you're not one of the 0.1% of the world for whom everything works forever, um, the rest of the 99.9% .9 of us live in complex lives where things don't always work. And eventually something goes wrong. Eventually, that marriage that we thought was a sure thing because the answer to prayer said, yes, do this, um, ends in divorce. And we end up thinking, not just, well, that's awful and I hurt and it's, I'm, this was a bad experience, but we end up thinking, well, I no longer know what an answer to prayer means. I no longer know, believe that God is supporting me or taking care. I banked on the sure thing and it didn't work. And the problem is not just that we hurt because it didn't work. The problem is that we hurt at a very deep psychological level inside that our confidence, our certainty has been dashed. And that, in my experience and observation, hurts people at a place that means they no longer have faith. They no longer believe in God. They no longer have any confidence in a institutional church. And maybe that's where we have to end up, but it's such a devastating experience that we have to deal with it. We have to open that up to a conversation. And I don't think we actually ever get completely rid of it. I think it's more a matter of dealing with it than of eliminating it. I, I've thought about this concept before, but I've never paired it with the, the words magical thinking, but it really does. It maps well, because what you're trying to kind of talk about is everything that you've described that is so deeply embedded in our early relationship with the church is very much an if-then proposition, right? If you do this, then this happens. If you do that, then this happens. Um, I'll actually just, let's go ahead and just be specific. You know, if you may be specific and a little bit silly, but if you go on a mission, you will marry happily. If you get baptized, you will, you know, you will get back to heaven. If you wear the temple garment, you may be in a car accident, but your body will not be injured. <laughs> you know, if you fast, whatever you're fasting for eventually will, will be realized. If you pray, God will answer in the way that you hope, or if not, eventually. So what, what I think you're describing here is that we have been conditioned 
in this kind of if then kind of dynamic that feels really certain. It provides us with a framework that a child wants. I guess every human wants it because we want to know that if we do the right things, God will provide. And so it's a compelling kind of a narrative and one that every last one of us, I think, would sign up for if we knew it, if, if we could be convinced that, of its truth. And yet at the same time, what you're describing, Chris, which perhaps is why the crisis is what it is in those of great faith, is that it will always fall apart. Things fall apart. Life happens. We do all of the if parts of the pre of the preposition. And at the end of the day, it doesn't go well for us in some way, shape or form. And then the other thing that I was really deeply touched by that you just said a minute ago is not only do we have the grief of whatever the thing is that happens, the failed marriage, the failed health, the failed faith, we have grief multiplied by a sense of betrayal or abandonment by God, especially for those who fuse the teachings of the church with God and take it very, very, very seriously. The magical thinking is actually in some ways, perhaps one's greatest risk factor for the deepest crisis of faith. I like that. Greatest risk factor for the crisis of faith. I think that's it's a better way to say it than anything I put in that chapter. I'll go back and <laughs> yeah. yeah. I appreciate you pointing out that it's something we want, though. I mean, it it I think it is a deep human need. And that and the sort of, I mean, harking back to the grow up is that you may want it, and but the the reality of life tells you you it, you're not gonna get it. Yeah. You're not going to get it. And that's one of the terrible realities of um, growing up. I'm, I'm just pondering on why are we so susceptible here in the LDS church to this magical thinking pitfall? I don't, I don't know that I actually know that answer, but one of the things that kind of occurs to me is that, and again, this may be more representative of any early stage faith system but I do think that well-meaning institutions over-promise and by default then under-deliver, meaning that they really do, I think, want to have all of the answers and to help their constituents get all of the blessings that one can get by just following this sort of step-by-step -step process. And yet at the same time, by over-promising and by supposedly having all of the answers and all of the revelations and giving a, a path back, you know, straight to God without any detours, it's a risky business because in so doing, so many of the adherents, especially, I maybe I'm I'm really putting this together as I speak to you, Chris, but I wonder if it's part partly some of the perhaps the most just sort of uh, the faithful, earnest, but also some of those who have been in the most pain and want something desperately to hold on to. They want a, a parent figure or someone to say, all you have to do is follow these seven steps on the covenant path and you're good. And so that's such a compelling thing for someone who's been, who's struggled or who's had a lot of wounds or who's, who's had some trauma and, or someone who just is a really sort of simple believer and, they're going to 
buy into that. And then when life inevitably happens, the crisis is so great. I think I'm thinking about the people that I work with in so many of my small groups. It has occurred to me that I don't really attract anyone who was ever lukewarm in the church. <laughs> They're just not my audience. They're the ones who were profoundly, deeply committed. I mean, we're talking, they ate, drank, and slept how to become a covenant-making, covenant-keeping Mormon woman or man. I mean, they were deep into this thing, which I think is exactly what we're talking about here. They bought in so much to the magical thinking of this structure that when it inevitably fell away, because honestly, that's what, you know, and again, I think that's what life does. I think our hero's journey is about the creation of a place in this life where we have some preconceived notions of what life is going to be, and it doesn't turn out to be that way. And then we get to grow and expand and push up against those things. So I think in some ways it always was meant to be that way, but boy, is the fall devastating for those who really, really bought into the magical thinking of this particular theology. I see it all the time, and I'm sure it sounds like you do yeah. too. I do. I do. I think a perspective here, at least my perspective, is that slightly overgeneralizing, I think everybody wants the sure thing. Everybody wants What's the 0.1% journey? <laughs> um, so I think that's a human need. I think that's a desire. And I think it is generalizing across religions and religious institutions. I think it is common to almost universal to promise or to want to promise it. That's one of the messages that churches and religions want to deliver. I mean, there are wants happening here, right? I think that we, as a, I think the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, exacerbates that, if you will. I don't know that I'm going to put it top of the list, but I think we exacerbate it by building our system around, I think the simplest way to describe this is building our system around the missionary lessons. We are, we are directing our education, we're directing our conversations toward what missionaries will teach. And that wants to be a message of certainty, a message of do this and it will work, join us and all will be well. I mean, those are the messages we're promoting. And I think we would do better. And I think I know some other churches do somewhat better in at least for adults providing for the kind of conversations that we're having that I try to have in this book to say, it doesn't always work. And what do you do with it? And I could actually find some conference talks, general conference talks that do address that. But the cultural norm is that we, we, don't, we only get as far as the missionary lessons. And our conversations among adults don't go beyond that. But this conversation about it doesn't always work. And there is pain and people die and divorces happen and you sometimes the leg breaks and it never fixes. We are capable of those conversations. We just don't institutionally provide for them. Yeah. I'm, I'm struck with the, the parallel struggle that we have with just uh, not being wrong, being accountable and not knowing things. I think a lot of what we build all of our foundation on is 
truth claims uh, being the one and only and the right and the true. And therefore, when things inevitably fall apart, people are oftentimes, I think, you know, the, the, from the formal institutional perspective, that they, they don't have good answers. And there's a lot of fumbling around. And it leaves us members, especially those of us who were really into the magical thinking concept, it leaves us uh, feeling very, very, again, betrayed, abandoned, and alone. And, and the thing that I find fascinating about this, Chris, is that how endearing would it be, I think, I guess I'm just speaking for myself, if I were able to hear more, both on the local level and trickling upwards, right? I believe in the trickle upwards rather than trickle downwards. If I were able to hear more frequently, we did that wrong. We made a mistake there. That was incorrect. We were really sucked into culture at that moment. Or we don't have the answers. We believe in a, a loving father and mother in heaven, but we don't exactly know how it's all going to be. Or, you know, that message you heard, that's a good message for middle school and mm -hmm. maybe for uh, missionaries to portray. That's a debate, actually. But, but now let's talk about the real world. I mean, why, why can't we have the now let's talk about the real world? It doesn't have to be that that was wrong. That conversation that perpetuated or encouraged that magical thinking, that was maybe appropriate for 12-year-olds. But now let's have the real conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I'm going to have to give some thought to that because I, I agree that younger humans, younger children, they want to feel safe and protected. Right. Kind of the idea mm -hmm. that like mom and dad say, hey, I got you covered. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I may not give you all the details, but you're going to be OK in my care. But to recognize that if we take that phenomenon and try to insert that into adult life and adult issues and create a paradigm where the church is becoming that parent that's saying that thing, we're going to extrapolate from that either directly or indirectly, that what you mean is if I take the sacrament every week, that I will never get sick or you will never, you know, <laughs> take my partner away or that nothing will ever happen to me as long as I make and keep these temple covenants, which I dare say, I hear that pretty frequently, just get into the temple and everything's going to be okay. And I hear that. And I cringe a little bit because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you're setting yourselves up to fail because inevitably everyone that, you know, enters into the temple they're going to have the very exact same messy, complex lives that everyone else is going to have who's not in the temple. It doesn't really <laughs> matter, right? And so I guess what I'm hearing you say is is simplified ideas for simple humans, which are younger humans, and and then allow ourselves to become more comfortable with the mystic, the mystical, the unknown, the I don't know, or the I thought I knew, but now I know differently which kind of, I think, would would help us all overcome the struggle of magical thinking because it wouldn't be perpetuated culturally. And I think that's what we've kind of been hovering around. Uh, can I, I'm going to read a little quote from, from the book here. You say this, I believe the magical thinking is wrong in the first place. And my global recommendation would be that we dispense with all such teachings and get real about life and the hereafter. But that does not answer for the pain of the moment. For that pain, I offer sympathy and recognition. And for the path forward, I offer a suggestion that you first dispense with the magical thinking, 
set that stumbling block aside and proceed with the real life work of forming and managing relationships with real people. Okay. I'm going to have you comment on that before I say that, before I have you comment on it, it's occurring to me. I'm loving how this series is unfolding, Chris, because what you just described there is actually saying, put aside the magical thinking by being an individuated or a differentiated human being. So we're actually building, you've created building blocks that in order for us to be able to hear that coming at us, a magical thinking kind of culture that invites us into that kind of psychological space, an individuated person has the ability to hear that when it's coming in and to not basically absorb it, to recognize that that is not going to be helpful for me in my faith journey. And probably a lot of the individuated people have gotten to where they are because the magical thinking actually failed. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually don't think it works quite that neatly. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a series of examples, but I'll use just one of them. Prayer, fasting and prayer. The example I use is that if you've done some good differentiation work, you've, 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 grown up, your understanding, you get to where you say, I, I know that prayers don't always get answered. And I know that these testimonies about finding the car keys are expressions of hope and faith that are not, uh, that are not saying that the person who died didn't have good faith or didn't pray. I, I get all that. But, you know, I still got the script in the back of my head that if I fast and pray, it'll work. It's still stuck there so deep that it, it's not going away. And I do, I, that's just one example, but I would bet that I could have a conversation with you or with anyone else, and I could dig out some of those beliefs that are embedded. They got embedded when you were five years old. And you really hold on to them. And I do think that the best we ever get is to recognize it's still there. And so when it doesn't work, when it gets dashed, there is going to be that pain. But we can get to the point where we recognize, oh, that's the pain of dashed expectations. That doesn't have to mean that I'm a lousy person or that I have lost all faith or that I am not worthy of an answer anymore, that can just mean this is the way life goes and it's going to hurt. But that's, but I can go on. I think that may be as best, as good as it ever gets. Yeah. My goodness, this is a complex topic because I feel like there's a difference between overcoming magical thinking and its inherent risks, but not confusing that with this idea that we forego having faith in God's ability to impact our lives, that both are true at the same time. Are you with me on that? Yeah, I'm, that's why it's hard. That's why it's complicated. Right? Yes, yes. And, and so therefore... Bear with me. I'm talking slowly because I'm really, you're, you're pressuring me to think this through. Magical thinking on the one hand is, is really transactional. I think that's probably the most problematic that's part of it is it's a promise made that if you do this and it's performance oriented is kind of the sense I get. If you do this, 
there will be an automatic outcome every time. And it gets really messy because we know that is not true, but we also know that as we pray or as we uh, commune with God in our, a variety of ways throughout life, and we appeal to them to be in connection with us as their children, I have personal experiences of knowing that they are there for me and that and that I do have evidence in my life that my prayers have been answered. Now, I don't know that I connect it with, oh, I paid my tithing or, oh, I did this or, oh, I did that. But it's a complicated thing because I don't want anyone to walk away from this conversation saying, let go of any belief that if you appeal to your father or mother in heaven, that they will not hear you and, and, and let go of that. Because to me, that feels like a very sort of negative and hopeless position that I'm not, I'm not willing to stand behind myself. What are your yeah. thoughts on that, Chris? Well, I have, I have two, two stories I'll tell. Okay. Um, they're just examples there. Uh, that is one is think about an answer to prayer. Imagine that you are, you know, at a street corner and the question is, should I turn left or should I turn right? And that you make a matter of prayer the magical thinking direction to go. And you get an answer. And the answer says, turn right. And you feel, you feel the, well, however answers to prayer register for you, the answer is turn right. The magical thinking approach is to go through this thought process. It's to say, um, the sign says turn left. And the things I learned in school about geography say that left is the direction to go. And my dad taught me that at this juncture, the direction to go is left. But the magical thinking is to say, what this answer to prayer is turn right. And so notwithstanding all those other indications, I'm turning right. That's over and done. To me, the differentiated adult acknowledging the problem of magical thinking approach is to say, the sign says go left. My father taught me to go left. The geography lesson says to go left. The answer to prayer says to turn right. Wow, that's really valuable additional information. I'm going to put that in the mix and figure out what to do now. That That's a maybe too subtle difference, but that's it's not to say there's never an answer to prayer and that isn't a valuable thing. It's just to say... This is not the if then. If there's an answer, then I'm doing whatever that is. That way leads to zealotry. That way leads to people doing harmful to themselves and harmful to the world kinds of things. The other thing I would, the other simple like one-liner I would say is miracles happen. I believe, so that's a statement of faith and a statement of experience in my lifetime. In my experience, miracles happen. But if they're expected, now you're into the if then. Mm. If they are awesome, if they are, if you are just full of gratitude that this miracle happened, you're you're in a worshipful, you're in a spiritual development stage that is to me the adult way to be. It's not to say miracles never happen. It's to say when they happen, that's awesome. If you start expecting 
you've walked into the if-then world. If you start counting on the miracle, you've walked into the transactional world that I think is damaging, that I think we need to avoid. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Here is a quick update. Due to the growth of this platform, I am now focusing the vast majority of my professional time serving you, my people here in and around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as you progress on your faith expansion journeys. Therefore, beginning August 14th, 2023, all of my Friday Latter-day Struggles podcast episodes are available by subscription for the price of $9.99 a month. Your paying a couple of dollars a week will significantly support my work. All Monday episodes are still free as I want each of you to be aware of the great topics we are covering from week to week here on the Latter-day Struggles podcast. In my show notes at the bottom of each episode, you will find all of the information that you need to subscribe to the Friday episodes and also a Patreon link to become a one-time or a monthly patron for all of you out there who value my work enough to go above and beyond subscribing for this podcast. Your small cumulative contributions are a very significant way that you can support me in our faith journey together. So thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. Miracles happen. I believe, so that's a statement of faith and a statement of experience. In my lifetime, in my experience, miracles happen. But if they're expected, now you're into the if then. Mm. If they are awesome, if they are, if you are just full of gratitude that this miracle happened, you're you're in a worshipful, you're in a spiritual development stage that is to me, the adult way to be. It's not to say miracles never happen. It's to say when they happen, that's awesome. If you start expecting, you've walked into the if-then world. If you start counting on the miracle, you've walked into the transactional world that I think is damaging, that I think we need to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. You've given me a lot to think about. I, I really appreciate the way you're helping me better understand how to be, I think, in a more whole and holy relationship with God. And in some ways, I really like this because it's it's kind of in some ways, I'm not really even thinking about how this relates to any sort of a system. I'm thinking about how I am in relationship with with my higher powers and that I don't have this approach to them that that we are transacting something, but that the the currency is always just love and gratitude. And I can really appreciate that because then I think the transaction kind of dynamic brings up a lot of perfectionism and there's a lot of shame that goes along with that. And there's confusion. There's just so many byproducts of being in the transactional magical thinking kind of paradigm that, yeah, it hurts people. It hurts people badly. And uh, they oftentimes, not only do they leave their home faith traditions, they leave God because they fuse the lack of ability to, you know, complete the transaction with a relationship with loving parents in heaven who are always there for them 
even in their extremities. So thank you for that. I know we're running out of time and I want to go ahead and close us up. We have one more closing episode in this mini series where we're going to be talking a little bit more about Chris's uh, book here, Living on the Inside of the Edge. I'm taking, uh, once again, because I this is my show and I get to choose whatever I want to talk about. One of the things that was most touching to me about this book, so Chris has the, it's kind of almost like a two-part sort of thing. In the end of the book, the last maybe quarter to third of the book are essays written by some really phenomenal thinkers and feelers and authors that talk about their own lived experience on the inside of the edge. And I actually would love for you, Chris, next time to talk to us about your own personal experience as a young man, when you kind of uh, had your experience in the nineties and turned your temple recommend in and sort of became a different kind of member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you had young adolescence and shared some really beautiful, tender, raw thoughts and feelings about how you navigated parenthood on the inside of the edge. And I'm specifically doing this because so much of, uh, so many of the people in my audience are, are struggling on their own, but the real struggle comes in with how do I parent? How do I do this very, very challenging integrity-based messy work of navigating my faith of origin and worry additionally about how much this is impacting my, my own children. And so I really want to hear, I, I know we will all want to hear from you, your wisdom as a, as a, a father and a grandfather. And we'll be talking about that topic next time. So thanks so much for being here, Chris. Thank you. I look forward to that conversation. For all of you who have been listening in so far, I couldn't be more grateful for your support and there are so many things that we have here for you here on the Latter-day Struggles platform. I'm very committed to helping you here in this faith expansion space. If you're interested in coaching, consulting, courses, gosh, they all start with C, <laughs> coaching, consulting, courses, and my um, my groups, please jump on to latterdaystruggles.com. Also, please support the Dialogue Foundation. They are the founding body of progressive thought here in the Latter-day Saint space and are such a big part of my growth and development. So thank you all for being here and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Dialogue Podcast Network.